Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A gorgeous mother of five. Her body has been found off a hiking trail. Now we know the condition of her body. According to an alleged eyewitness, Rachel Morin was found naked, lying on her back, on a hiking trail near a tunnel with nearly half her face bashed away. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Series 6 M111. First of all, take a listen to this. Despite law enforcement swarming the area for almost a full day, Gaberzeski's stepdaughter locating the body in about an hour. Once we got down there and I started seeing them tunnels, I started getting goosebumps. The deadly discovery made in a tunnel drain not far from the trail's main entrance. I saw a terrible mess. Gabrzeski's visions meeting the reality of a gruesome scene. There's not going to be an open casket, I can guarantee you that. You are hearing our friends at Fox 45, but also the man that says he found the body, Michael Brzezieski. With me in All-Star Panel to make sense of what we know right now, but first to Chief Investigative Reporter with DailyMail.com, Jen Smith. Jen, tell me his description of how Rachel was found. I mean, it's pretty disturbing, Nancy. This her mother of five. He describes a pretty brutal um, scene. The condition of her body really, really badly beaten up. And like you said at the top of the show, half of her face it looked like almost gone. In fact, the way that he described it was that it looked as if someone was trying to erase her identity. That is how badly beaten this woman's face was. She was lying on her back, she was naked, and she had been brutally assaulted. We're trying to determine what this means simply 
in the search for a killer. How likely is it that someone she knew would bludgeon her so horribly as if trying to hide her identity, would leave her naked, lying there, lying there on a public hiking trail. Take a listen to more from our friend Rebecca Pryor. Whoever the killer is, Gabrzewski convinced it's someone with close ties to the victim. Because it's, it, it's too personal. If somebody were just to do a, a thrill kill, it wouldn't be as brutal as what we witnessed. Would it? Or wouldn't it? With me in All-Star Panel to make sense of what we're learning now about the brutal way in which Rachel Warren, a mother of five, was murdered. Straight out to Dr. Bethany Marshall, very well-known psychoanalyst joining us out of Beverly Hills. You can find her at drbethanymarshall.com. Dr. Bethany, listen, this could go a number of ways. We've got plenty of cases where a woman is out jogging or hiking and she's brutally murdered by a stranger. And we're going to talk about those. We have a lot more cases where a lot of other, not necessarily more, but a lot of other cases where a partner, a boyfriend, an ex, a husband, a, a long time, my high school sweetheart raises his head like a monster. But in this case, I want to hear your analysis of the way Rachel's body was found. What does that tell you about her killer? Well, I do think it was a crime of opportunity because if this was a domestic, I think it would be in, in a home. I think there would be a lot of digital evidence of somebody harassing her, stalking her, if it was somebody that she knew. But this was out in nature, which suggests to me that somebody was out there waiting to assault a woman. And we know that women are often at the greatest risk when they take the same route again and again. And in places that are secluded, but also like public hiking trails, the fact that her face was bashed in, I don't see this so much as trying to identify I'm sorry to um, to erase the identity of the victim because obviously it's her. I see this as somebody who really wants to um, wants to do a brutal assault on a woman. That that's the mo a brutal assault just for the sake of, of of inflicting harm and terror. You know, often with these crimes, Nancy, the face is assaulted or the head is is removed from the body it's severed from the body and and often people say oh they're, they're trying to you know erase the identity of the identity of the victim i don't think of it that way i think they're trying to destroy the beauty of the victim this woman was a beautiful if you see her photos she's beautiful as a woman she had mother of five but beautiful individually on her own. She had a gorgeous face. And I think defacing her in such a terrible way that half of her face was gone. I think the thrill of the kill is taking away her beauty and her individuality. To Jessica Garth joining us, the chief of the Special Victims and Family Violence Unit and the state's attorney's office, Prince George County, Maryland. Jessica, you and I have both seen a lot of homicides, usually, you know, of women and children. But in this case, I also find it very probative. In other words, it proves something that not only was her face bashed in because the killer didn't have to do that to affect murder, but that also she was found naked 
exposed out on a hiking trail. That tells me something as well. What do you make of it, Jessica Garth? Well, I think the first thing you have to think about is whether or not she was sexually assaulted um, before or even after. Um, she was so brutally taken from us in this case. Um, so, you know, we can hope that that's part of the investigation, the potential DNA evidence might result from that investigation, which would help us find the person who, who killed her. You know, I'm thinking about that uh, possibility of a sex assault. Jessica, if she, Rachel Morin, had been sex assaulted, would that tend to indicate to you her killer was someone she knew or a stranger? Well, to me, Nancy, I, I think it could cut either way. I, I think we know that um, domestic abusers often use sexual assault as a means of power and control. Um, and when they're doing, you know, the ultimate act of taking a life, it, it's the ultimate means of taking power and control over that person, usually a woman. Um, however, I think, you know, Dr. Bethany makes a good point that if this were a crime of opportunity, you know, this could have been um, a sexual assault and, and the victim may have fought back or perhaps the attacker intended to kill her, you know, from the first place. Um, but if she did fight back in this case, if Rachel fought you know, for her life, I think that would also lend itself as to why she was beaten so brutally in this case if she was, you know, if she enraged her attacker in an attempt to save her own life. Many people have suggested she was killed elsewhere and then dumped there. But what we're learning about a description of the scene tells me that is the location of the murder, not that she was murdered in her home or apartment and then dumped there. Let's take a listen to more about what we know about the scene, which I consider to be not a secondary or tertiary but a primary crime scene. In other words, she wasn't killed at home. She wasn't killed in her car. She wasn't killed elsewhere, transported there, and then dumped there, making it a tertiary crime scene. I think it was the primary. Take a listen to our Cut 32, our friends at Fox 45. Brutal and gruesome is how Michael Jeberzeski describes what he and his stepdaughter say they uncovered. Today, he took us to the Ma and Pa Trail to show us exactly where he says he uncovered Marin's body. It wasn't far from the William Street entrance here. I'd estimate only about a quarter mile in. I had never walked it myself. For Michael Gabrzeski. He told my stepdaughter, I said, look, it's not going to be laying out in the open. The Ma and Pa Trail in Bel Air, uncharted territory. I said, she's going to be tucked away somewhere. Gabrzeski and his stepdaughter taking off on a search rooted on instinct. I just kept seeing tunnels in my mind. I don't know why, but I just kept seeing tunnels. Now, it's really interesting that according to Others, searchers had been all over this area, but not far from the William Street entrance, this dad and his stepdaughter find the body. And it is reminiscent of another case similar. I'm sure you'll remember it. When Gabby Petito went missing, there was a basically a worldwide search for her fiance, Brian Laundrie. Now, his parents said, and his car indicated they were telling the truth, that he went into Carlton Reserve, about 25,000 acres of nature, including gators, swamps, snakes, you name it. The FBI and others had searched for days for Brian Laundrie. But this is what happened when his parents went in to look for him and 
just about an hour. Take a listen to our cut 353 from Live Now at Fox. In a worldwide exclusive video obtained by Fox News Digital shows the laundries and the law enforcement officer huddling and speaking as the officer appears to show the couple an unknown discovery. The officer appeared to tell the parents, I think we might have found something. During the couple's time inside, Chris Laundrie could be seen continually moving in and out of areas of the brush. After a short while, he and Roberto Laundrie separated with Chris and the two men moving into the brush on the left side of the trail for approximately 12 minutes. Chris returned without law enforcement and the couple continued on. And more in 354. The Laundries later discovered a white bag and a dark colored object after traveling through a patch of brambles at the edge of the brush at a clearing. They then could be seen putting the object into the bag and handing it over to a law enforcement officer shortly thereafter, who later took it from them. On their way out of the park, the couple made a phone call and then received a call. There, they were soon joined by the law enforcement officer who could be seen patting Chris Laundry's shoulder as he huddled with the couple. The couple left the park at around 8.45 and appeared emotional when confronted by protesters there. Meanwhile, about a dozen uniformed law enforcement officers and approximately six people in plain clothes could be seen entering the park with several police or unmarked vehicles and gators seen entering. The Northport Mobile Command Center arrived at the park shortly after 10.30 a.m. local time. The laundries returned home shortly thereafter. So with all of the searchers in Carlton Park, the parents go in and in less than two hours. It was about, what, Jackie, wasn't it a little over an hour? Yes. They find Brian Laundry. They find um, articles belonging to him, as do police. And that seems to be what happened here. Joining me is a renowned searcher, Tony Wade, commander of the Cajun Coast Search and Rescue Team. You can find him on Facebook at Cajun Coast S-A-R. Uh, Tony, thank you for being with us. You know, when you go into a search like this, it's very difficult. I've been on them. <laughs> You have to go basically shoulder to shoulder so you don't miss anything so much as a sock or a bra or a hair barrette. You know, that reminds me, we took the twins to the beach and Lucy lost her favorite hair barrette. Do you know how long we looked for the hair barrette? We found it, by the way. But long story short, you're looking for anything, any minute piece of clothing or an artifact from the victim. Here, apparently, searchers had been in there for some time, and this dad and stepdaughter go in, and they find her. He says he had had premonitions of the, uh, looking at a tunnel, and sure enough, she was found near a tunnel. Describe a search like this in a wilderness preserve, Tony. First of all, you know, these searches are extremely difficult. Um, it's covering a, a massive area. You know, the, the first thing that takes place in a search this magnitude is, to, to set up a grid and have everybody run that grid where everybody crosses where each other has walked. Uh, you know, also in, in, in instances like this, if there are caves or there are tunnels or things such as that, those, those need to be targets. Uh, you know, they were said correctly earlier that they're probably not going to be left out in the wide open. We find that to be true in most cases. So if there are openings somewhere, we target those pretty hard in first. Uh, but the, the central part of doing a search like that is to set up a very good grid 
um, you know, depending on how many searches you have out there and, and stick to that grid until every square inch is covered and look for anything that doesn't belong. Uh, you know, most people get tunnel vision and they're looking for a body or they're looking for a certain object and they're, and they're losing focus on other things that are there. You know, we instruct everybody to look for anything that does not fit. If, if the grass is green and there's something blue, then the blue doesn't fit. Um, but again, these searches are extremely difficult. To Ron Bateman joining us, sheriff, former homicide and undercover agent, author of Silent Blue Tears, Voice of the Victims. And you can find him at ronbatemanbooks.com. Ron, thank you for being with us. The search was extensive, but it has happened. It has happened, and we saw it happen with uh Chris and Roberta Laundry. That Carlton Reserve, which granted is 25,000 acres of wildness, had been searched, had been aerial searched, you name it. Uh, dogs have been brought out to the extent they could go into a swamp. But the parents go in and they, I noticed that they started where his car, Brian Laundry's car had been parked. They start there and walk straight in and they find him. It's certainly not unheard of. Yeah, and, and that stunk right off the bat to me. Um, and, and in a case like this, uh, where I'm hearing uh, this Michael G. fella, you know, taking his stepdaughter to a certain area, that that's concerning to me. And and to me, talking about the gentleman about a search, there this is obvious that it is a bloody scene. So therefore, the suspect is definitely going to have blood on him. So a search really needs to be intensified, looking for an article of clothing that the killer would have dumped, whether he or she buried it somewhere in that woods. And again, the grid search would really produce that, but also the surrounding area where you need to search dumpsters, uh, you know, where nearby, you know, convenience stores, dumpsters, the person's trash can. I'd want to know, again, we talked about ring cameras or the other type of models on doors the other day. I would want to know what some of our prime people ex-boyfriend, I mean, a boyfriend, ex-husband, Michael G., stepdaughter, what they were wearing when they left the home and what, how they returned. Did they return without a shirt? Did they return uh, with a different color shirt? Um, So that that search is really, really key. And hitting local dumpsters before they get emptied is real important. Wait, you were saying you'd be curious as to what, who was wearing when they left home? So, you know, it's really important to work as hard to exclude a suspect as it is to, to develop one. So yes. I would immediately look at the, the, the ex-husband, the boyfriend, uh, this Michael G. fella, uh, the stepdaughter. And I say the stepdaughter, not as a suspect, but to exclude her because you have the principle of transference of evidence. So when you go somewhere, you most likely leave something of yours behind, hair, semen, what have you, and you take something with you. It could be uh, the person's blood. It could be the person's hair. Um, so we would want to exclude these people as much as we wanted to develop them. Now, I'm curious, when you say Michael G., you are referring to the guy who says he found her, correct? Yes, ma'am. I don't want to destroy his last name. I hear you. Okay, guys, it's not the first time that an innocent person finds a body, and then they, because they find a body, become a suspect. I want to tell you about a story. Jackie, I think I've told you this before. Sid over there. Yeah, Sid, this is true story. When I was subbing uh, for Larry King, which was a huge, great honor for me to be his permanent guest host, I just couldn't believe that happened to me. 
Well, one night Larry did couldn't come in, and at the last minute, I did a segment, a whole show on psychic detectives, of course, which I did not believe in. And we covered a case where a woman, I believe it's out in California, was, I think, at her kitchen sink, and she said she had a vision of something white. Uh, just like Tony Wade was saying, if you see something that doesn't fit in, look at it. Something white out in a canyon. And it was so strong, she got her husband and her son in the car. This was at night, by the way. And they go driving out in the canyons, and they see something white. They go over, and it was a nurse that had gone missing. She was dead. Well, guess what? The cops, I swear I believe it was the L.A. cops. Hey, Sid, could you look this up? The L.A. cops arrest her because they're like, woman, you did not have a vision. Etta Louise Smith. Yes, yes. Etta Louise Smith. Absolutely. And they arrest the woman because how else in the world would she know there's a body out in a canyon? Well, lo and behold, as the investigation goes on, it turns out the victim, a nurse, had gotten off her shift at the hospital and some technical legal term, a-holes, had pulled up beside her at a red light and they were heckling her and they grabbed her. I believe they raped her, killed her and threw her body out there. That woman, Etta Louise, she sued the LAPD and got a huge verdict for that. My point is, when people find a body, they often come under suspicion. My friend, Phil Vitrano, is one of those people. Take a listen to our cut 49 from Crime Watch Daily. That's a day that I will never forget. I started to worry, which is unusual. I had a, a feeling. So I called her three times, didn't answer, and I went out looking for her. There was no sign of her. Four hours after Phil's phone calls, pings from Karina's cell phone led him and police to Karina. You found your daughter? I did with the help of the PD. He found his daughter, who was the last one to speak to her. Do you know they pulled him out of her funeral to get DNA? They should have gotten his DNA. My friend, Vilvatrano's not necessarily during his daughter's funeral, but that said, he became a suspect. Of course, he is not involved in any way in Karina's death. I believe the person name was Chanel Lewis uh, has been convicted based on many factors, including DNA. Okay, here's another one. Roy Cronk, the government worker who's out doing his job. He kept seeing something in the bushes. He called police. They wouldn't come, wouldn't come. Finally, they came. It was the remains of little Kelly Anthony. Anybody remember the name Top Mom Casey Anthony? Take a listen to our cut 50 WFTS. I was standing behind it. I still didn't think it was real. So I very gently took it and put it into the right eye socket and I gently pivoted it up and I looked down and I realized what it was and I set it down as gently as I could and went up and called my uh, area supervisor. Deputies would later uncover tiny bones next to that tiny skull tossed away like trash. Everybody went cray on Roy Cronk, who, with, without Cronk, we may never have found little Kelly. And then there are the people that find the bodies that really are involved in the murders. Do I have to say the name Alex Murdoch? Take a listen to our cut 48, our friends at GMA. In June of 2021, Murdoch made a 911 call claiming he'd found his wife and son shot to death outside their hunting lodge. My name is Alex Murdoch. Please hurry. You're the one up and moving. He was indicted by a grand jury last year and has pleaded not guilty. 
But prosecutors argue he's a man who lived a double life, alleging Alec killed his family to gain sympathy and distract from mounting financial wrongdoings. The day of reckoning was upon him, and he was out of cards to play after he's been playing every card he could for 10 years. So there you have it. Uh, Jessica Garth, isn't it true that when somebody calls 911 or they find the body, you look at them? Absolutely. I mean, you have to, especially in cases... Um, where they're the person who, who finds the body when nobody else could. I mean, it's just such a, um, it's not a red flag. At least it's an indication that somebody that you should take a closer look at because, you know, how did they know where to go when no one else did, when all of these seasoned investigators couldn't find the body, uh, but this person could. Now, I want you to listen to our friend in Cut 40, Dave Mack at Crime Online. Investigators into the shocking death of 37-year-old mom of five, Rachel Marin, have declined to comment on how she died, the type of injury she sustained, or whether she was fully clothed or not. However, a man named Michael Gabrzeski claims that he and his stepdaughter, Cecilia, and another person were helping search for Marin when Cecilia and her friend found the body of Rachel Marin. Gabrzeski says that Cecilia saw Marin's body first, and she began hyperventilating. Gabrzeski claims police told Cecilia to sit down and that she sat down in a big pool of blood. Okay, I'm going to circle back to Dr. Jean Gorniak, an esteemed medical examiner on that pool of blood. But my point here is the following. Take uh, Jack, could you play the rest of 40? When the U.S. edition of The Independent reached out to the Sheriff's Department to confirm what Gabrzeski is claiming, the spokesperson for the department said, quote, he has no firsthand knowledge of the crime scene. Unquote. Mr. Gabrzyski was in the area to help search for the missing woman, the sheriff's office explained, but said, quote, he was not within eyesight of the crime scene. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Zen is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience, which means Zen pairs well with you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I find that really interesting that now um, authorities are saying he didn't find the body. But what I notice, they're not saying Jen Smith. Jen Smith is the chief investigative reporter with DailyMail.com, who's on this like a cheap suit, let me tell you. Jen, they're not saying that what Gabrzeski is saying is false. They're going, well, he's not the one that actually saw her first. They're saying... He wasn't within eyesight, but they're not denying that she was lying out near this tunnel, naked, mm. with her head bashed in, in a pool of blood. They're not saying that's yes. incorrect. They're not. And, you know, quite frankly, I think what's happened here is this police department is a little frustrated with this man. He has given away all this information that they have been concealing from the public as clearly an investigative tactic, right? We've seen it before where the police department don't want everybody in the world to know things about the state of the body or the crime scene because it, you know, broadens the pool of suspects. If it's only the killer who knows, then it's going to be easier to track them down once they come forward or, you know, whatever it may be. What this man has described, you're absolutely right, Nancy. They are not refuting it. They're kind of dancing around it. But we know that he wasn't alone. He's already said that he was with his stepdaughter and that actually she was the one who saw the body first you're right that's jackie waving a sign at me he says it's the stepdaughter exactly what you said go ahead right i mean i really think this police department has kind of tied themselves up in knots and they're getting a little uppity at this guy for no good reason like you say he all he's done is shared pieces of information that they were clearly trying to hold back. And let me tell you, this police department, maybe they're overwhelmed, I'm not sure. They haven't been that forthcoming. They have refused to answer many of our questions from the beginning of this. They wouldn't even tell us if Rachel had gone out hiking alone, which was kind of a basic detail you would think they might want to share. Um, So I, I think that they are frustrated with this witness, but they are not in a position to deny what he is saying. They also back up to some extent what he is describing. Take a listen to our cut 21. This is the sheriff, Jeffrey Galler. There's indicators that our detectives um, have no doubt, and I'm not going to go into what physically they observed at the scene, but um, the investigators believe and it's a sadly, it's a homicide case. You know what? I believe Michael G. I believe not necessarily that he was the one that first found her. I think he was there with a stepdaughter and a friend and that the girls, the stepdaughter and the friend found her and that he is describing what they saw or maybe he came up after that. But they're not refuting what he said. And I don't believe that right now he is the culprit, which leads me to an esteemed guest. Dr. Jan Gorniak, medical examiner, Clark County, if you don't know what that is, it's Vegas, and there's not a lack of business there. Board-certified forensic pathologist, let's just see, say that she's seen one or two dead bodies. Dr. Gorniak, what convinces me that Michael G. is telling the truth, whether he found the body first or not, about the condition in which she was found 
And this also tells me this is a primary crime scene. She was in a pool of blood. And other accounts have stated that there was a trail of blood indicating she had been dragged to that spot uh, from a short, very short distance away. Either way, that tells me that's where she was killed. What do you think, Dr. Gorniak? And second question before I forget it, Dr. Gorniak with her head bashed in, what if she died of just, let's say, asphyxiation? What if she was strangled dead and then she was beaten post-mortem? How do we tell with that kind of damage to the body, what's the true COD cause of death? Okay, so let's go to your first question about the the, the primary scene. Um, it does sound like that's the primary scene because of all the blood. Had it been someplace else, I don't think there would have been that much blood. She would have bled out someplace else. And so there wouldn't be a lot of blood or evidence there where she is or close proximity to her. And then also but with the drag marks. Um, the second question with her, her uh, extensive head trauma that she suffered we will be able to still tell. <laughs> um, so one thing that we do on, on all homicide victims, especially blunt force trauma, we take x-rays. So that's going to help us, one, see injuries before we even start the autopsy. So that gives us a, a diagram to sort of say how to approach the case. So we're going to have x-rays. And then if someone is strangled, and actually, I've had a case recently like this. If someone is strangled, there's this the U-shaped bone that sits really high up in your neck um, called the hyoid bone. And if that's fractured, we can tell whether it's fractured before death, antemortem, or postmortem after death. And if that's fractured, then we can say that they were strangled. How can you tell if the hyoid, and I'm showing where it is right here, it basically, doesn't it just kind of hold the tongue in place? Is that what it does? Correct. Okay, so it's just kind of like floaty there. How can you tell if the hyoid is fractured anti or post-mortem? Good, great question. So the hyoid bone is very fragile. So when we're doing the autopsy, we can actually break it, taking it out. So in order for us to say that there was it was fractured before death, we have to see hemorrhage around it. Hold on, Dr. Gorniak. Jackie, we just learned something. I did not know. Did you guys know, Sydney, Illy, that just by taking, removing the hyoid, it's so delicate, you could fracture it? It sounds like a, a little like a delicate seashell that you would find and you pick it up and it breaks in your hand. Correct. Yes. So we have to always be careful when we're taking it out. But the body always tells a story which is what I love about my, my profession. It's going to tell the story. You just gave me chills, by the way, when you said that. Go ahead. Man, would I love to have you on the stand on direct, not cross, but direct. You, you kill me. Go ahead. So the, the hemorrhage. So your body always has to be reacting. So if the bone is broken before death, your body's going to react to it, meaning there's going to be bleeding around it. So that's like if you, you get a bruise, right? It's going to bleed. But if you get hit after you're dead, it's not going to have a reaction. So if the hyoid bone is broken and we see hemorrhage at the fracture site, that means it was broken before death. If we see a fracture and there is no hemorrhage, meaning the body did not react to that fracture, then that means it was after death. So like I said, I just recently had a case where um, the young lady had a lot of sharp force injuries to her, her face. And I thought it was going to be that, you know, from the, the glass, it was a broken bottle. And actually, when I did the autopsy, she was actually strangled. 
because of that hyoid bone. So you will we'll be able to tell. Question, Dr. Gorniak. When you go out to dinner with people or you're having coffee, do you talk about autopsies, not revealing, of course, not revealing, you know, names or specificities that could identify a victim. But do people ask you questions or am I the only one that could just listen to you all day? No, uh, people, people ask questions. Um, and obviously, like I said, I, you know, I love my profession. We get to give a voice to the voiceless and get to tell their story, right? I, you know, sometimes people think I'm, I do talk to them and they talk back and they help me tell their story. And that's what, you know, going to court is about to being an advocate for the patient. So, but the questions I don't like is what's the worst thing you've ever seen? Because you don't want to know that. But I, but I enjoy talking about how I do my job and, you know, in some of those stories. Hey, can you have a hyoid, a broken high? This is a Jackie question. Can you have a broken hyoid bone and live? I would say yes. I would say yes, too. Okay. It's like a broken pinky and you can still live. Right. Because the, the, the thing is, it takes a lot of pressure to break the hyoid bone. So, I mean, then you're collapsing vessels and the airway. And that's why people die from being strangled. Like if you took a football to the neck or a, a, right. a baseball or something, that could fracture it, but you still live. Okay. She's happy. Let's run for the moment before she comes out with something else. So... From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, Somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Zen is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience, which means Zen pairs well with you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. We're talking about what happened to Rachel Morin, and 
everybody on the panel remember we're not do i have to come up with a new phrase to get it into your head we're not having high tea with king charles and camilla jump in for pete's sake because i know dr bethany marshall is standing on her head to say something so this is what we know this is what's happening help me figure out who did it is this the work of someone she didn't know and we've got all the i've got so many similar transactions with examples of women out hiking or jogging and they were attacked by strangers you know for example let's go with 31 molly tibbetts our friends at inside edition listen we're learning more about what happened the night molly tibbetts was slain allegedly by an illegal alien this was the country road where molly was jogging when police say the suspect christian rivera got out of his car and started running alongside molly molly got scared and pulled out her phone and threatened to call police now what happened next remains unclear but somehow molly ended up in inside the suspect's vehicle. Investigators say he then drove to a spot on this lonely road where he dumped Molly's body. And of course, um, there is the daughter of my friend Phil, Karina Vitrano, 20-year-old Chanel Lewis, never met her in life, murdered her, brutally beat her. Her teeth were found scattered all around. Her face was bashed in, very similar to Rachel Morris. Take a listen to Cut 28 CBS. A six-month exhaustive manhunt leading to this moment Karina Vetrano's family had prayed for. 20-year-old Chanel Lewis in handcuffs now charged with a 30-year-old's murder. Police say Lewis was tracked down late last week at his home in East New York, Brooklyn, that he shares with his mother and sister. It's where investigators say the unemployed man confessed to detectives that he raped and then strangled Vetrano. Her body found by her father in the grassy parkland less than a mile from her home and of course we just covered the case of the young mom a teacher eliza fletcher I uh, believe that was in Memphis. Take a listen to our Cut 23 WREG. Fletcher was jogging down Central Avenue around 4.30 this morning when investigators say she was approached by someone who forced her into a dark-colored SUV and drove off. You don't want to hear that that's going on. Um, we want to find her. We don't know. We don't know what's going on. Hart Robinson is a friend of Fletcher and got the news this morning. Of course, she was murdered, according to police, by 38-year-old Cleotha Abston, who had never met her. Uh, he didn't know her from Adam's house cat. So who murdered Rachel Morn? This is what we know. Take a listen to our Cut 41, Dave Matt, Crime Online. Since the body of Rachel Morin was discovered in a drainage tunnel not far from the main entrance of the Ma and Pa Trail, Michael Gabrzeski has spoken out to the media about what he and his stepdaughter found or witnessed. The following information has been reported as fact by Michael Gabrzeski. Claim number one, Gabrzeski's stepdaughter Cecilia discovered the body of Rachel Morin in a drainage tunnel. Claim number two, Rachel Morin was lying on her back fully naked and she had brutal head trauma. It looked like her head had been smashed with a rock. Claim number three, there was a 15 to 20 foot blood trail, so it looked like she had been beaten and dragged into position. Claim number four, the right side of her face was gone. And claim number five, it looked like the killer was trying to erase her identity. Okay, that's what we know right now. Based on that, Dr. Bethany Marshall, weigh in. Well, in this case, it's, it's, here's my thought about this. This seems like a serial killer's first kill. 
And the reason I say that is that it is so crude. The weapon is crude. It's a rock. You know, as serial killers gain sophistication, or even if it was a domestic, somebody would have thought ahead a little bit better, would have had access to a weapon, um, would have maybe shot or um, maybe strangled. But in this case, the weapon appears to be a rock. And that tells me that this perpetrator is not only desperate to kill, but that he or she most likely he is in an area that's both secluded, but women who are on their own tend to traverse this path. And that the MO in terms of killing and the blunt force trauma is that the infliction of pain in and of itself is incredibly sexually exciting. And, you know, I talk about this all the time that with serial killers, the infliction of cruelty and pain, it, it enhances their sexual arousal. So there, the fact that she was found unclothed in a pool of blood tells me that there could have been a sexual assault, but not uh, the type of penetration or something that we might think of in terms of, of normal sex, but somebody who inflicted cruelty, bashed in her face, um, did what he wanted with the body and then masturbated on her or masturbated somewhere else so that semen might never be, be found. Can I jump on something, Nancy? Yeah, hold on. Yeah, I just want to say that everything, Jackie's waving a sign at me that what Michael G. has said has not been confirmed, but nobody's denied it either. Who is this jumping in? Is it Ron or Tony? It's Ron. Please do. Guys, this is Ron Bateman, former homicide, undercover, uh, narcotics, sheriff, and author of Silent Blue Tears. Go ahead, Ron, please. I think DNA is going to be really critical in case and i think what i would like to know and i've already read one report that boyfriend has voluntarily given up his dna that's a good sign but i would really i would really want to uh, delve into doing search forms on all of my potential suspects or people of interest to get their dna again to exclude or develop that because you know there's going to be trace evidence in if they if that person drove there um in their cars for example and i would Love to get search warrants, again, for people's cars that are people of interest or suspects to see if you can develop any kind of trace evidence. Uh, again, going back to that principle of transference of evidence where you're going to take something with you from the scene uh, or you're going to leave something there. So DNA is going to be critical. Nancy, if I could jump in about that. Sure, go ahead. Whoever did this has been, is a lurker. He's been lurking along that trail looking for just the right victim at just the right time, just the right time of day or night. So this is a man who has been going past the ranger station, has maybe been talking to women. I'm sure somebody who's been on that trail has seen a strange guy. You know, we think of this crime as, you know, initiating at the point of the discovery of the body or whenever this poor victim was, her face was bashed in. But, but there has been weeks or even months leading up to this crime where the perp has been working up his courage. Where has he been? Who has he been talking to? What car has he been driving? I mean, he's going to leave some, not just a, a footprint in terms of, you know, DNA, but in terms of who he's been approaching um, trying to work up his courage, and then he didn't have the courage, and then he retreated. To Jessica Garth, chief of the Special Victims Family Violence Unit at Prince George's County, what do you think, Jessica? I, well, I do think it's a good sign that the boyfriend gave his DNA, but of course, you know, he could just be doing that to try to throw um, investigators off the scent. Um, you know, in, in this case, I think it's a good idea um, 
to get DNA from everybody to not only um, eliminate suspects for if, if uh, this tracker and his stepdaughter did, you know, potentially touch the body, you would want to be able to eliminate them from the scene, but also to potentially determine whether or not, you know, he is involved. At this point, Nancy, you know, it, it's a really tough call. Um, my gut tells me that this could be the work of somebody who did not know this victim. I think it has so many similarities to the other women that we've seen who were killed by um, strangers, by potential serial killers, that I think that it could possibly go in that direction. Um, but I, I'm, I never cease to be surprised when people are, are murdered by people who are supposed to supposed to love them as well. So I, I think it just remains to be seen. Jen Smith, of course, we can't, Jen Smith joining me, Chief Investigative Reporter, DailyMail.com. We can't ignore that the boyfriend just made them a uh, social media couple. He announced it four days before she's dead. And he's got a rap sheet. I believe off the top of my head, I remember 14 arrests since 2014. Uh, that said, jump in, Jen. Yeah, I mean, I was, you took the word that my mind, sure, he's come forward. He's offered his DNA a good sign. But, as, you know, we just mentioned that he could be doing this to try and throw police off the scent. And this rap sheet, problematic. 14 arrests. We've got drug charges, assault, refusing arrest. They only just became Facebook official. They'd been dating for a handful of weeks. In addition to giving police his DNA, this boyfriend, his name is Richard Tobin. He's 10 years younger than Rachel, by the way. He posts on social media saying, I know what everybody might think, but I promise I didn't do anything to hurt her. I have a past, but I would never hurt Rachel. Now, that's kind of an interesting approach, right? We, at this stage, I don't even think her body had been found when he made this post. It, it was a kind of curious way to respond to some of the suspicion that was surrounding him. Now, we don't know much about their relationship from Rachel's side of things. We haven't really heard much from her sister, Rebecca, who had been appealing for information they now are kind of battening down the hatches and running everything through an attorney and a family spokesperson, which is, you know, the kind of arguably sensible thing to do when the investigation is as crucial as it is right now. But aside from what he has said about himself, there isn't a huge amount that we know about this guy or the relationship. He says it was good. We don't know that for sure. We wait. As justice unfolds, if you know or even think you know something regarding the brutal murder and what many people believe to be the sex assault of Rachel Moore. And remember, she's got five little children, two boys, three girls. Mommy's not coming home for them. Please dial 1-888-540-8477. Repeat, 888-540-8477. Seven seven. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.